Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Join me, as always, it is the one and only Alan Niven. Bonjour, monsieur. Comment allez-vous? Uh, très bien, merci. Ah, bien. And the uh, the guest uh, today is Jeff Scott Soto, who, of course, spent time with Ingve Momstein's Rising Force and had a, a modicum of success fronting Journey uh, a few years ago, probably like in 2000. Oh, God, five or six or anyway, a long time ago. Uh, he's got a new album out called Wide Awake in My Dreamland. So we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, before before we get to that, uh, Alan, and we'll talk more about uh, Terry Nunn uh, when we do the Terry Nunn uh, interview, but we had a chance to interview Terry Nunn of Berlin recently, and you were her manager, and you you helped get her signed. And, and no, 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 no. I got it wrong. No, I wasn't her manager, darling. I oh. was her record label. Oh, okay, 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 okay. But you got her started. I signed her, I signed her to Enigma, and uh, at that time, I was the single solitary functionary of Enigma. I did everything. I had four partners who were um, working in a company called Green World, and uh, of which I, I ran a department there. And then they spun me off to start a label called Enigma. And Terry was my first signing, or Berlin was my first signing, to Enigma. So we did a lot of promotional stuff together, and uh, we uh, recorded one track to add to the tracks that they already had that were basically demos, and that was called Sex. And um, it, was, it was very interesting to talk to her again because I haven't seen her in years and years and years. But she's still got a fantastic energy. She's still very, very smart, obviously. And it reminded me of what a joy it was to do things with her back in the day we used to have some fun yeah what a what a great uh, reconnect that was anyway we will have that terry nunn episode coming up for you uh, shortly on the old rock talk with mitch lafon feed but uh, let us get over to jeff the, the new album like i said wide awake in my dreamland and um you know back in the day he used to sing for ingve momstein's rising force so i'm just going to quickly tell you my my ingve didn't, didn't, you, didn't you have a moment with ingve oh i had a moment with i've had two moments tell with ingve. me about your moment with ingve <laughs> uh, wingnut wingnut yeah it was at the it was at the roseland ballroom years ago it was a show with ronnie james dio or dio and Doro, Doro Pesh, which which we also love, uh, Doro. We have an episode with Doro coming up too as well, uh, come to think of it. And uh, I was working the photo pit. And back in those days, we didn't have the digital cameras. We had the film cameras. And on the top of the cameras, you had a little button when you wanted a flash. And you would click the button and the flash would pop up. And fans may or may not know that when you're working a photo pit, there's a very strict rule. No flash. First three songs, no flash. First three songs, no flash. Fine. Anyway, I'm working the pit, and, and as you're working the pit, people, you know, you, you get bumped around sometimes. A fan comes over the railing. You know, whatever's going on. And and somewhere in there, the button on my camera got pushed, and the flash popped up. And I didn't notice, because I wasn't... I didn't push it. Not, at least not... I mean, I might have pushed it in accidentally. Pops up. 
and I go to take a picture of Ingve, and he's he's standing right over me, and I take this picture, and it flashes, and I and I my, I was just like, oh fuck. You know, because whenever you flashed anything, the publicist or the venue person would come and they would yell at you and said, we told you no flash. And I was like, oh, I know. But he slapped the camera out of my hand and then gave me the waggy finger and went, no flash. No, 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 no flash. And I was just like, I was like, all right, I, I know, I know. Just just go back to your to your show, you know. And uh, anyway, a, a couple of years later, I do an interview with him on the phone and we start talking about Malmo, Sweden, because uh, I go to Copenhagen a lot, and you, you 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 run over to Malmo, and you you know you you well you hang out in Sweden, you know. And he goes, "There's a restaurant called, and I can't remember the name of the restaurant." Because there's a restaurant called, "It's the best pizza in the world." I go, "I go really in, in Sweden?" He goes, "Best pizza in the world." I, he goes, "I've traveled the world. I know. I've been to Japan. I've been. I live in Miami. I've been. I know pizza, and this is the best pizza in the world." He goes, "Next time you come over." You call me, we go for pizza in Malmo. So, you know, had my story ended just, at, at he slapped my camera. Just remember, yes. Just remember one thing. When you're eating the pizza, first three slices, no flash. First three slices, no, yeah, see, that's right. But I mean, listen, had I ended my story at he slapped my camera, I'd probably sit here going, man, what a dick, what a horrible, you know. But then we did the interview, and he was like, "Hey, come over to Sweden, or come to Malmo. We'll we'll hang out and have pizza." So I have to say, uh, you know, what a nice guy. I, a, you, you know, that's hospitable. Yeah. So you know, and uh, it's an easy drive from Schopenhagen over to Malmo. You know, you can just zip in the little rental car, zip over there, and just make sure he picks up the uh, bill. Yeah, and so it just goes to show that everybody has a good day and a bad day. And sometimes when you you see stuff, uh, oh, this rock star, I met him backstage, and he was such a dick. It's like, yeah, maybe he's just having a bad. Like, calm yourself. So, so there you go. Anyway, let's uh, let us calm ourselves with the great uh, Jeff Scott Soto. Oh, and by the way, Jeff Scott Soto has recorded a UFO song, a version of Doctor Doctor that he put out a couple of years ago. So, uh, bonus points for Jeff for that. That's. that's throw bonus points as long as it's good well i mean well, the original that the original that's one of those songs that you might do live for the fun of it but you know i'd think twice about about recording that myself well i'll tell I you mean, what though it was it was an album that bob kulik put together and it was called michael schenker and friends so the guitar playing on there is michael uh, schenker so, so the, the guitar playing is what it should be. Uh, on that album, they used a whole bunch of different drummers. They used um, uh, Ainsley Dunbar. They used Simon Wright. They used Eric Singer, Brian Tishy. Now, off the top Ainsley of Ainsley Dunbar. Now, there's a monster of a drummer. You, you ain't fucking kidding. That that guy, I mean, uh, White White Snake '87. That's all you need to know when you talk Ainsley Dunbar. Point. Yes. You yeah. know. Um, so I don't know who's actually playing drums on it, but whether it's Ainsley or Simon or Eric, I mean, the drumming is not slack. So, so I know it's tough to cover this, the, the stuff like UFO did it, but you had Michael on it. Uh, I think Bob Kulik's on it too, either doing bass or doing extra guitar. Anyway, so it's not just some schmoes that got together and recorded uh, a UFO cover. It's, you know, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you to listen. It is quite delightful. Awesome. 
And, Let's uh, go and see what Jeff's got to say. Yes, so uh, speaking of delightful, here is uh, the one, uh, the only, Jeff Scott Soto. We're speaking with the singer Jeff Scott Soto. The new album is called Wide Awake in My uh, Dreamland. And as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, uh, sir. How are you? I'm very good. Always great to talk to you, Mitch. Always good to catch up. And uh, yeah, I'm on the promotional trail for this new record I'm, I'm stoked about it and uh i'm ready to hear what you got to say about it <laughs> well many <laughs> things uh, many things in fact uh, well in fact i want to get over here to the this post on your facebook here where where did i put this post uh, here it is it says the uh, the cat's out of the bag i've been working on four full albums during this pandemic a new jeff scott soto new wet New Joel Hoekstra, and then something called Spectra, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, oh, yeah. Correct. Talk to me about this because there, there's a a lot of this comes out from the pandemic and folks sitting at home and not being able to tour. And we'll get into all of that stuff later. What I've noticed with a lot of bands that I talk to is, oh my God, we're not doing anything, so we're sitting at home. And you're like, well, okay, so this now that I'm sitting at home, I might as well do something. And you've done four albums. Talk to me about balancing these projects and and how do you sort of decide which goes in which pile and you know what's a jeff scott soto song and what's a wet song how, how do you approach these projects creatively and, and differentiate between them and not just have four albums that sound exactly the same right well overall my process is par for the course it's, it's regardless of pandemic or no touring etc i'm constantly constantly either writing creating or or following up on something that, uh, you know, like a, the, the new solo album was based on the fact that my last one was three years ago. So I do have schedules. I have uh, obligations contractually, et cetera, that I have to follow up on. And, and, then, and then you try to, you know, kind of weigh them out and mix them up and make sure you're not completely fried and burnt out, as was the case on this new record. Um, let's go back to September last year. I was I had to finish up the uh, the, the Soto tour in Europe. I got back from that. I basically had enough time to repack my bag and hit the road with TSO for two months, uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. During that time, I was getting all the songs sent to me from my producer, Alessandro Del Vecchio. He, he also wrote all the songs, all the music. He sent me the stuff so I could start writing my melodies and lyrics because I knew in January of 2020, I had a small window literally of 15 days to knock out these 11 songs. Now this is with the constant touring schedule. And while I'm on a tour writing the songs, I had to come home and knock all my vocals out because then Sons of Apollo were gonna hit the road. That being said, my voice was kind of trashed and toast anyways. And I'm one of the benefits I did get from COVID and, and everybody being locked down is I got to readdress a lot of things that I would have really hated about listening back to that record had, had I not had the chance to readdress them. So, that was the beginning of everything that I already had planned for the year, that I already had mapped out, that I had to do within certain times, time frames and months based on the touring schedules and based on us being on the road pretty much again throughout the year. But I'm talking about Sons of Apollo before I have to try before I get ready for TSO again. I already had all that stuff mapped out within each month with it, with each opening and pocket and window that I could actually fit all these things that you you just mentioned and mentioned. Now I actually had the chance to do them smoothly, carefully, meticulously, and actually make them sound as great as they I possibly could without worrying about, oh, my voice is trash, I'm tired, I got to sing a gig, I got to sleep, you know, all that stuff. So going back to what you were asking, 
how do I differentiate them? First of all, each project, each each item that I'm working on, I don't write the music to. I don't I don't sit here with a guitar or a keyboard and write the music. Therefore, I don't have to worry about one thing sounding like the other. This song sounds like it could have been on my album. This song sounds like when I get a piece of music, I adapt to that piece of music and I write. If it's a heavy piece, I know I'm not going to be singing light and talking about skipping through the dandelions and vice versa. If it's something that's really light, I'm not going to talk about how much I hate the world and and I I can't stand this person. You know, you, you write the, your content based on what you're hearing back. And that's the approach with everything I do. And the fact that I get the songs from the art, from the people I'm working with, from the musicians, I let them craft the best items that they can with what they do into the music, incorporate that. So then I can step forward and do what I do best, which is writing lyrics and melodies. Right. And that's how you differentiate where my voice and where my themes and where my ideas fall into every every single thing you mentioned, from Spectra to Wet to JSS even and well Joel Hoekstra, that was a that was him just asking me to sing background vocals. So that's that's kind of like here's your map. Please just do that and send it to me. Right now, what I got from that is that you said that you let the musicians do all the work and then you just come in. So so singers aren't musicians. That, that's no, no. That, that, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So no, uh, to be honest with you, the last time I wrote like actually wrote music for any of my releases was um, my Lost in the Translation album back in 2005. And the reason I was doing more of the writing back then is because I was still kind of, it, I was kind of reinventing and kind of new to the game of a solo artist. Once I realized the best songs that I was releasing come from the people who, who like I said, a guitar player who plays his instruments so well will craft a song based on how well they play that instrument. I'll pick up a guitar and I'm so limited. I will, you'll hear the limitations in the song based on the limitations of my skills. So I would rather get a badass guitar player who, who can just pull out these cool riffs and comes up, comes up with these great ideas that maybe I could have thought of, but I can't play their creativity, just swimming all over these songs and all over this music. And then from there I go, Oh my God, what a great piece of music. Let me now put what I can put on top of that to complete it. Right. And, and I was just saying that facetiously, by the way. So, no, I, I, no, I know, I know, I know. In, in a sense, it's true. <laughs> in a sense, it's true. But let me ask you this. because from, from actually, write, actually writing and composing the music. Why would I try to write a song that uh, I would want somebody like Bumblefoot to play on when I would rather have Bumblefoot write the song and let me just step up and do what I do best? Well, yeah, which which makes sense because if he's going to play the guitar anyway. But let me ask you this because okay. sometimes when a musician is out there and does several projects, and this is not just you, fans will criticize and say, "Well, you should focus on just one thing." But yeah. isn't the whole point of being a working musician to actually be a working musician? And therefore, you if you have to do Broadway, you do Broadway like Joel Hoekstra has done. If you have to do Trans Siberian Orchestra, which is a Christmas show, like you do. I mean, isn't that the whole point of being a working musician? It is. And I can understand the grievance of, of somebody from the outside looking in um, as an artist, as a musician, as a writer, as a performer. You add all these different equations, however you want to spin it. All of these things make me tick 
because I'm able to challenge myself musically, because I'm able to work with other people and do other styles and other genres. One of the things, and we talk about this all the time, that uh, it's like I'm chasing uh, Mike Portnoy's rainbow of, of how many bands and projects I can be in. The, one of the things that restricted us from being able to open up our musical rainbow, so to speak, or the, open up that canvas of things that we had inside of us that we couldn't do with those bands. Now we have that opportunity to say, well, I've always wanted to do a funk album, but there's no way I could do that with Ingve. Or if I was doing in a funk band, I've always wanted to do a neoclassical record, but I can't do that with, uh, I don't know, Morris Day. I'm, I'm just throwing random names. This gives me the opportunity to tap into all the different influences that I've loved through the years that I can't necessarily do on one album or with one group. But on top of that, now I'm actually exposing myself to other things like TSO to where I'm bringing that that experience into what I'm doing already with Sons of Apollo. I can take that theatrical side, that kind of Broadway thing that I've never had. I've never had a musical theater bone in my body of interest. But now that I'm part of TSO, I am part of that structure and I'm seeing, hmm, there's something about that that I could possibly put into sprinkle this over uh, Sons of Apollo or maybe take this ideal of how I'm, I'm character singing into a JSS song. All of a sudden, I've learned a new craft and I'm actually able to expand upon. How, how much does that help what you do, being able to see and, and try these different palettes? Because, you know, if, if you sort of show up and eat pizza every day, I mean, yeah, it's delicious, but you're eating pizza every day. And, and you know, there are some bands like ACDC, they have their sound and that's what they do. That's fine. But for for you, in terms of your solo album, in terms of going to Wednesday, you know, Journey, singing with those different voices how much better of a singer does it make you that you're not just doing a sort of a nine to five job approach to it well i i will be honest with you of course in another world in a perfect world or however you want to spin that as well if i had the opportunity to be a household name so to speak based on one of my bands and one of my projects or even my solo albums of course, I would concentrate on only that and stop kind of jumping around and, and, and tapping into the different things that make me spin. Of course, I would love to have that one thing that I focus on and that I could maybe build upon and elaborate on. My dream has always been to be in a in a kind of Queen situation because Queen was one of those bands that had no walls or boundaries. I've always wanted to be the type of artist that can get away with doing an opera, jazz, blues, disco, funk, hard rock, metal, uh, R&B, whatever, soundtrack song, these guys were the masters of that and they got away with it. There aren't many artists that can get away with doing the entire spectrum of music, especially the different things that they've tapped into. But I've always wanted that approach. I've always challenged myself to be that kind of singer and that kind of artist. But without that kind of notoriety or that kind of success behind it, then you're, you're, you either have the luxury of going out and doing it with other people and doing it in other kind of different forums and, and arenas, or you just stay with one thing and then you you kind of feel cheated. You kind of feel like I, I put a limitation on myself musically that I'm, I've never got to expand upon. I would rather go with the latter. I'd rather go with one where, because I'm not a household name, I can do whatever the hell I want and, and get away with it. Yeah, and, and you know what? Uh, let's be honest. Being that household name, the Paul McCartney, the that's rarefied air. There have been millions of artists from, you know, 1960 to now that nobody's ever heard of. They played their garage, they played the backyard barbecues, and 
And so the fact that you're at your level is actually really impressive, quite frankly, because there's a lot of guys that would love to be you, that would love to be able to do wet, that would love to have frontiers call them. So, yeah, listen, you got nothing but my respect. I think you're, Thanks, I think you're doing fantastic. Um, Thanks, let me ask you about that because you, at the beginning of the interview, you said that you, you know, had you come off the road with your voice all sort of shot, you would have, you know, punched out these albums and you may or may not have been happy with how they sounded. Um, talk to me about, about taking care of your voice because there is a point where you might use it too much. And if you're going from TSO into solo tour into Sons of Apollo and then back into Sons of Apollo and then back to TSO, listen, you, you know, a hockey player can't play 365 days a year. At some point they need to rest. Um, do you watch out at all for your voice? Are you aware that you say, okay, I'm going to do this tour, but then I need two months off. I'm going to do this tour, but I, I can't do interviews during it. I need, I'm going to do this tour, but I'm just going to have to sit in the hotel room and sort of suck it up and just not like, how aware are you and conscious of protecting your voice, protecting your moneymaker for the lack of a better word? In 2002, or is it 2001, I was diagnosed with vocal nodes, nodules. And this is for those who don't know. That's the, that's a death sentence yeah, for, it, for a it, singer. It's basically a callus. So when you're, if you're gardening or, or playing guitar for the first time and you're practicing hours upon hours, and then you look at your fingers, you have these thick skinned calluses uh, that, that are building on your fingers. And you need those to play guitar, especially when you're a touring artist or you're playing year round. This is something that's necessary. For a singer, it is the death of them. And the, there are ways around it uh, of learning how to sing without getting these calluses or without you, you do have to find out, you do have to find ways to rest yourself. You do have to find ways to get around not overusing your voice or even using your voice in general when you don't have to use it. I learned the hard way. I was diagnosed with this and my during that time, I was with a group that was basically I was singing year round. I had I had two weeks off a year. Basically, it was I was doing this uh, this retro group called the Boogie Nights, and this is how I developed the notes. I actually I, was, I remember that from yeah. uh, the the California scene. And get, get going. I so I developed the notes because of that because I I'm a, I was an untrained singer. I basically just opened my mouth and sang. I didn't know anything about warming up. I didn't know about warming down. I I just. My voice worked great, and I thought I was a Superman. I thought this is going to last forever. I had range for days. I had it, it, it was there for as long as I wanted it and, and needed it until this happened. When I realized this is happening, I, I had a whole new world thrown my way of exactly what I did wrong and what I need to do to, to never see that doctor again. And that's where I started learning the all the precautionary items, all the uh, all the ideas of how I was singing to how I should be approaching my singing, et cetera. And that's when that's when it was kind of like a, a rebirth, a, an awakening, so to speak. So since about 2001, 2002, I've got away and uh, just in a, a different approach. And I know how to warm up now. Even when I joined Journey in 2006, I was wiped out because I was. When I got the call to join Journey, I was in the middle of an album. Uh, we were doing the final Talisman album, and then I had two nights a week I was doing live gigs. So my my week, my regiment was, I do the live gig, I rest the next day. The day after that, I sing a Talisman song. The day after that, I do another live gig. You know, basically repeat repeat that that process for about two or three weeks. I got the call from Journey. 
And I was spent from that process. And I hit the road. We had, they'd already started uh, two and a half or three weeks of a six week run when I joined them. So I had about two and a half weeks of shows. And man, I was shot by those two and a half weeks. When I got to the end of that, Jonathan Kane gave me a number of a uh, vocal coach here in LA that uh, both Steve Algeri and Steve Perry went to. He was basically, uh, he was one of these guys. He was low key, but he had a lot of great singers, a lot of great names under his belt of the people that he worked with. He said, I think you should just work with this guy. You might learn some things and he'll at least kind of help you ration. He'll help you get there uh, with warmups, et cetera, et cetera. I did one lesson with this guy and I swear, Mitch, to this day, I condensed our one hour lesson into a 15 minute warm up, and I use it to this day because I learned so much in that one lesson with this guy of exactly how to do, what to do, all of these things that were missing that would have been so imperative to me the years prior. That's that's amazing. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you this because since we're talking about the voice, when we talk about a guitarist, we always go, man, you know, the way Ace Frehley played in 1974 compared to 79, he's maturing. He's Eddie Van Halen, well, you know, new techniques. Do you develop also as a singer? I mean, you excite, so you have this method and you, and you have this warm-up that you've condensed down to 15 minutes, but do you listen back to, I don't know, world play with Soul Circus or, or you know, Eternal Faith and go, oh, God. What the fuck was that? I mean, you know, like, do you have that reaction? And 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 have you learned new techniques? And have you improved on your, you know, like 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 a guitarist improves on his playing? Or or how do you sort of judge yourself in in a in a thirty year span? And you know what I mean? The only way to really do that successfully is to always be a student of your craft. Don't ever be, don't ever think you're a master of your craft because you're never too old to learn. You're never too good to get better. And that's, that's, that's always been my ideology. Um, I realize when I listen to, I, I, I cringe when I listen to what I did with Ingve because I see what I was trying to do, but my voice was so young and so pure and unscathed, so to speak. But I also didn't have I didn't have the, uh, the the mental side of what it was required to sing what I was singing back then. I was doing it thinking I had the mental uh, side sorted out, but I really didn't. So when I listen to it, it sounds like it sounds like I'm trying to I'm pretending to sound like Ronnie James Dio on one song, or I'm trying to sound like Bruce Dickinson on another. Instead of already having those influences that you get as the years go, as a, as you get gain more experience and you sing on more records and you work with so many other people. All those things you wrangle your your growth and you wrangle your your knowledge and your education on how you want your voice to sound and how you want it to react. And it's it, I'm telling you, if I hadn't done half or even three quarters of the over 85 records that my voice has appeared on, I wouldn't have that knowledge. I wouldn't have that approach of when I hear a song now, I know exactly what approach to to go towards it as opposed to saying, well, I'm just Jeff Scott Soto. I'm just going to sing it the way I sing it. Everything has an approach. Everything has a vibe. Everything has an emotion. And I I attack it that way. That's the only way I'm going to get the results that I want out of it instead of years later going, oh, what was I thinking when I was singing that? <laughs> That's great. And and I love that you're a student of, of, of your stuff because there, there's a great quote that I always use. It says, humans are a work in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right. So so, you, you know, you always got to keep moving in terms of uh, the other band, Wet. Um, yeah. 
the album, hold on, I'm going to punch up the name real quick. It's uh, Retransmission. So here is a band that has put out three, four albums, uh, known in the European circles. You've gone over to Europe. You've played some shows there. It is a melodic rock fest. I mean, it is just terrific. The the, the, the albums are, are strong. The music is palatable. It's it's just great. Uh, not, not so well known in North America. There are a few diehards that know it, but... Talk to me about that project and and really maybe taking it to that next level because I think the elements are there. I think musically it's well. I think uh, the playing is great. The songs are great. The, you know, Wet, Rise Up, the Earth Rage, all great albums. Um, what are you What are you thinking about moving forward? At some point, do you, do you sort of focus and say, okay, I've got Sons of Apollo and I've got these and I just need to sort of prop them both up and give them their due? Well, w- let's start with the what you already brought up earlier. I'm a working musician. I This is my job. This is what I do for a living. This is how I pay my bills. This is how I pay my mortgage. Is how I survive. Without all these extra things, without a project like Wet and all these additional things I pile up on top of my main real items, it's I, I wouldn't be able to survive. So I do them, one, out of necessity, but two, because I am able to utilize these these sort of forums to give people what they want to hear out of my voice. When I do a Soto record, for instance, which has nothing to do with the Jeff Scott Soto record, Soto is a band, Soto is a, a vibe and a, a heavier outlet for me. It's not what I would do on a JSS album. So Soto is something I'm trying to utilize other influences that I can't use with Wet or that I can't use with Sons of Apollo or JSS. And in doing so, I realize I'm not going to be drawing the usual JSS people. I, I get a lot of people that say, you know, they'll leave their remarks or comments saying, I prefer the way he sounds with wet. Because, because I'm adapting my voice to what I'm doing with Soto, I'm also adapting my voice to what I do with wet. Wet is basically a project of Serafino, the president of Frontiers Records. He started this ideal. This We were, the, the, the I guess, the first guinea pig, so to speak, of the supergroup thing that uh, has become so, sort of a staple for the label now. Um, back in 2008, I got the the call that uh, listen, you know, you've got you've got your career and your sound and your stature. I've got these two new up and coming bands from Sweden that are they write great songs and they're very influenced by a lot of the things that you've done in your years. I would love to see what would happen if I put the three of you in a room together. And that's where the band wet. That's where the name wet comes from because. One of the main writers is from a band called Work of Art. One of the guys is from Eclipse and me from Talisman. So we just took the initials, combined them to make – when we were trying to come up with a name, it's like, well, it's not a real band, but we need a name. We can't just say it's the Jeff, Eric, and Robert show. Um, so by combining – And by names, the way, Work of Art is a terrific band, folks. Absolutely. If you haven't checked them out, holy cr- – I mean, fantastic. Eclipse the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, What we sought out for this record and and as we continue into the future, we want to make sure that we're utilizing the three elements of what makes those three bands great. You'll hear a lot of Talisman influence in Wet. You'll hear a lot of Eclipse influence in Wet. And you'll hear smidges of the work of art influence in Wet. And that's it's a culmination of the three bands. Whereas if it, if I were just working with one of them, it wouldn't sound like that. If I were working with just uh, with the other one, it wouldn't sound like that. It's a culmination of those three bands. And we know that's the sound we're, we're going towards. We're not really trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not trying to change 
or, or it's almost like we're, we're we're kind of just digging into those three bands and pulling the best of what we liked about those bands and putting it together. And that's what you get out of wet. Yeah. And it's such a great band. Now let's talk about the, uh, the most important thing you've ever done. Um, you recorded a UFO cover, Dr. Doctor with Michael <laughs> Schenker. <laughs> the most important. No, that's right. I mean, really you worked with Michael Schenker and Bob <laughs> Kulik and Jeremy Rubellino and, uh, Marco Mendoza. I like getting so. drunk now. He, he's another UFO head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I've I actually had these conversations. Eddie, over the years, has said to me, hey, you know, UFO. And he said it on air, and he said it to me in emails and at the M3 Rock Festival. You, you got to check. And I just, I just never got it. And I've been down this rabbit hole the, the last, well, basically since lockdown. I was like, well, what am I going to listen to? I can't listen to Kiss again. Well, obviously, you can always listen to Kiss. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I started listening to this, and I started listening to Schenker a lot. And I was like... Jesus, he, he was doing this stuff with the Scorpions and UFO in 74, 75. And then other guys, Randy Rhodes and Eddie, they, you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying they copied him. They're, they're no, great right. guys. But, but I'm like, ooh, I think they must have heard this because, <laughs> you know, um, what was that like? And there's a video of you on, on YouTube, obviously, uh, where you're doing it with, I guess it was Temple of Rock, the, the Michael Shepperton. Right. And, and, I've watched it like at least a dozen times because you've got Herman Rarebell and you've got you and Michael Voss. And, and it's just like, well, this is like the greatest moment of rock. Anyway, to me. But, you know, I'm a I'm a geek. Um, but just quickly talk to me about about not just I mean, you know, facetiously, that's not 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 the greatest moment. But talk to me about some of the guitarists you've worked with. What, what's it like being in a studio with a shanker and, and then Bumblefoot and and some of these great guitarists that have stood by your side? Well, going back to the Shanker thing, that was just another uh, session, so to speak. I did a lot of those um, the, the tribute, tribute albums, albums. Yeah, yeah. Bob for Bob Kulik was involved, and he was he masterminded. What what I loved about what Bob did on those records, he was like a casting director. He he had the role of a casting director. The way when movies are made, uh, certain characters in screenplays, they there's only there are only certain people that can actually play those roles. A casting director knows that this kind of person would be able to pull out that particular role. And that's what Bob was doing with these albums. He wouldn't put me on a song that wouldn't utilize my voice, but the same, he wouldn't put somebody who had not so much of a voice on a song that would they, they wouldn't be able to cover. So he was really cool and kind of placing if you put if you had like a chart, okay, this person sounds like he would be great for this. This person's skills would be great for that song because it doesn't require shred fest. I need shred fest on this one. So he knew how to place all these people. That's why I did a lot of those records with Bob. It was always a pleasure. I've known I'd known Bob for so many years. Um and to work with him in the studio was it was like just hanging out with a, a dear old friend. It wasn't work. That being said, I got the call to do the uh, the Shanker one, and Bob told me, well, this one's a little different than the other ones. We're doing a tribute to Shanker, but Shanker is playing all the guitars on the record, and I was beyond thrilled because I never met the guy. Huge fan of his, and I really discovered the, the, um, the impression that Michael Schenker left on the music world of the guitar world through Ingve. It was it was only through Ingve because he would play me these old things that uh, between Schenker and Uli Roth, these guys truly pioneered what uh, I guess the next steps of where uh, I guess pre Eddie or pre Randy or post Hendrix, and they were kind of the middle guys. They kind of led. They they were they were leading the way of where we were heading towards uh, future guitar rock. 
So of course I was excited when they gave me Doctor Doctor even better because it's for me it's an easy song to sing, but I knew I could inject my own kind of personality behind it. Let's fast forward to 2010. I was living in England at the time. Um, that high voltage festival was happening there in London, and I, I have friends within the industry that got me into the show. I was backstage and talking with Doogie White, and he realized that Michael and his entourage had just showed up because Doogie was singing a few songs with him. And uh, he goes, oh, I got to go say hi to Michael and, and uh, he, he come with me. I go, I've never met him. He goes, oh, you haven't. So it was Doogie that actually introduced me to Michael. I finally met him for the first time years after I sang on this record. And it was literally hectic. He had people chewing his ear out and they, he wanted to say hello more uh, friendly. He's a very friendly guy, but he wanted to have a little more time with me, but he didn't have it because they were about to go on stage. And just like that, he goes, Jeff, you have to come on stage and do Dr. Doctor with us. I'm like, Okay, uh, I wish I'd known. I'm wearing shorts and I just look like one of the fans. In the yeah, I was, I was going to say your your outfit was kind of disappointing, but that's okay. No, no, but, but I mean, what, what a great moment. And, because and, I finally got to meet him yeah. and because I was invited to then join him on stage. Are you kidding me? This is going to this is a great moment. Uh, one funny story. I, I'm glad you brought this up because it's kind of it's something I get to tell seldomly because uh, I don't talk about the story too much. I didn't. I don't know the lyrics of Doctor Doctor by heart. When I did in the studio, of course, I had a lyric sheet. I didn't really listen to it over and over and learn the song. And and it's it's not posted in my brain like some of my material or or other things that have personal favorites. So I said, yeah, I'd love to, but man, I don't I don't know the I don't know the lyrics. It goes, don't worry, we have a teleprompter on stage. Oh, great. <laughs> okay, so I'm introduced. We're on stage. I get to the middle of the stage where the teleprompter is. It's sunshine is beaming right in my eyes, right on the teleprompter. It's it's already dark to begin with. It looks like it looks like some some homemade job. Somebody took like an old monitor wedge and stuck a little mini iPad in there. And the, the font was so small. I'm like, I literally had to lean down on my knees to look at what the lyrics were. I said, forget this. I, I reach over to, to Michael Foss. We call him Fossey because that's in uh, in German. His name is Foss, not Voss. But I, I said to Michael Voss, I go, dude, I'm only going to take the pre-choruses and the choruses. I'm not singing any verses. I can't read that. He goes, no, no problem. Just point to me and make sure somebody's got the mic when the uh, the verses are going. So I didn't get to actually sing the any of the, the, the meat and potatoes of the song. I just got to sing choruses and live and love and I'm on the run. I, that part I knew. <laughs> that's that's all, you, all you need is doctor, doctor, please. And the rest, <laughs> you know, listen, it's like, hey, Doogie. They're paying you for do for this part. You do the verses. Now, by the way, I love Doogie's voice. That, that Temple of Rock project, I, I really liked it. I, I thought it was great. I thought Doogie does a great do job. Michael does a great job. Uh, Michael Voss or Fossey, as you call Fossey, him. Yeah. Um, oh, and and it's and so again, I was just thrilled to uh, to finally meet the legend, and and now I can add him to the repertoire of people that I that I played with or recorded with. He wasn't with me when I did my version in the studio, as were. The same with all of those uh, Kulik projects. None of us did them together. I didn't do the uh, uh, Aces High with Nuno and Billy at the studio. We Everybody just came in and did their parts according to uh, when he was ready for you. Yeah, and uh, just a, a quick reminder, uh, or, you know, or I'll just add, uh, you know, rest in peace, Bob. He, yes. He's one of the, you know, bef before he passed away, there was a period of six to nine months where every night at 11 o'clock, he would just call me and tell me what is going on in his day, and and sometimes it was great, sometimes it wasn't so great. But I I, I miss those calls, and 
and and, and when those calls stopped coming uh about a week before he passed away i was like i was like hmm he's been calling me every day for six months like what's going on and and uh, then i found out he passed away and i was like oh fuck yeah yeah you know, so rest in peace, Bob. Uh, you're you're greatly missed, and and you know, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Rest in peace, Frankie Benelli. I'm just gonna get them all out. I miss you all. Okay. Uh, you know, anyway, um, let's remind the folks. Wide awake in my dreamland, November sixth. Uh, definitely worth checking out. It's it's just very straightforward, fun melodic rock. And if that's what you want, then Jeff's got it for you. So. Uh, Jeff, always a pleasure. I, I know we, we, we've been on the phone for over an hour, but we've only recorded half an hour of it. So, so next, <laughs> next time we got to start uh, rolling the tapes earlier. But it's, A little sooner, yeah. A little sooner, well, but yeah, still. I, I always appreciate you know when you can take the time to talk to me, and I, I realize that uh, you're prob- probably going to be uh, doing less and less of these things. So even yep. more so, I, I truly look forward to our chats. I look forward to the insights because, um, you know, I, I always see you as one of those who's uh, definitely in tune. You pay attention to detail and an artist like myself truly appreciates that instead of just going to the regiment of, of, you know, the same old questions, the same old situations. I know when I'm talking to you, we're talking with you. You have the knowledge behind what you're saying. You mean you, you don't want me to ask you about whether I want you want to be like on a desert island with some. <laughs> <laughs> You you want a little bit more intelligence to your interviews? I can understand that. It makes sense to me. Uh, you know. Anyway. Oh, geez. Before we go, I just you know I, I want to throw an additional nod and oh the uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra live stream. Let's not forget that TSO livestream dot com slash TS. Anyway, TSO live stream. It's out there. Just Google it. But yes, go ahead. I'll, I'll end with that, but uh, I just want to throw an additional nod and shout out to the guys uh, that made this record with and for me. I mean, starting with Alessandro, as I said, he's a wonder kind. I've known him for fi- about 15 years now, and I've watched him grow from a keyboard player in a band to this mega producer, songwriter, singer, uh, artist, even engineer. He's just the guy is just he's so mega, mega talented. And watching him grow to what he's become now, he's become such a staple for Frontiers, for instance. He's all over everyone's albums. He's working with everyone and their brother now. And I, I absolutely, truly deserve it. And I, I hope everyone gives him the same props and attention that I'm giving him, especially for this album. Because without without him, I couldn't have even done one note of this record. So he's this, this guy is a wonder kind, and I look forward to working with him into the future. Uh, my drummer, Edu Cominato from Brazil, he's in the band Soto, but he was also in the JSS fold. I use him for every album just because that guy thinks and plays on my records and my songs the way I would if I could play the drums. He's just fantastic. And then the guitar work on this record is just it's second to none. As you said, I've worked with some of the best in the business. And this guy's a complete unknown that was a friend of Alessandro's. He never worked with him before, but he always said, I'm going to pull you into a project that is going to feature your guitar playing because you're so great. And his name is Fabrizio Scatoni. He's from uh, from Italy. And unknown guy, but he truly wrangled all of my favorite influences, guitar players, the people I've worked with, without even thinking, without saying, well, I think on this song, I got to play like a talisman kind of solo. He just did what he did. But I hear so many smidges of my favorite guitar players in his playing that I, 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 it's such a pleasure to listen back to this new record. And, and 
you know, just kudos and props to him. And the, and lastly, I got August Zadra, who's my one of my best friends, plays with Dennis DeYoung. I brought him in to help me out with some of these higher searing siren backing vocals. And I even gave him a solo on one of the songs. So uh, this is how we made this record. And I'm so proud of it. I, I think people will truly like it. You're going to hear a lot of different influences from the different things that you might know me from in my past wrangled into this, but with a more contemporary hard rock, melodic rock sound. That's great. And of course, uh, let's not forget to mention Steve Brown once in a while plays with Dennis D. Young, the nicest man yep. in rock right there. Uh, Absolutely. Brown. There Steve you go. Brown. One of my boys. But yeah, the, the TSO thing, uh, I, I, it took me, it, I was biting my tongue <laughs> because I wanted to be able to tell the world that they were just crying and in and, and tears and just so down that we weren't going to be able to tour this year, that we actually had something in the works. And so the idea of even just doing a, a one-off, a one-shot uh, live stream makes me happy that TSO, even through COVID, even through rain, sleet, and snow, that TSO stepped up and we were able to give you a show this year. So uh, that's yeah, that's going to happen in December, and all those details definitely check out on the TSO site. Yeah, and and it, it was disappointing when they announced they were going to cancel it, but this is a glimmer of hope. And right. you know what? Just just buy it and just watch it five times. Pretend you're at at an, <laughs> at the show. So. Uh, Jeff, always a pleasure, and uh, we will do this again soon. We we didn't cover much of Sons of Apollo or some of the other stuff, so uh, let's let's plan another one. Bien that, That's the glory about uh, my careers. There's always something to cover, so <laughs> we'll do it another time. And and again, thanks, Mitch. I, I truly appreciate your time. Always a pre- always a pleasure. Merci. Have a good day. All right, brother. Cheers. All right, good. I'll-